justify prove to be right or reasonable justification is at the heart of all legal and political argument but at a time when argument itself is slave to appearances it is time to bring back a culture of justification justify a podcast on law and politics in india from the vidhi center for legal policy hosted by orgo sen gupta welcome to episode 3 of season 2 of justify thanks very much for joining me we've got a very exciting episode on the future of indian news while indian news has been in the media for uh, in the recent past for a number of reasons most of them have to do with broadcasting and issues of content but there is a deeper structural issue about news in india and that is the rise of electronic media and news being consumed through social media what impact has that had on print journalism and what impact has that had on news as we know it that is presenting objective facts on india and the world to users we have zai vipra and anirudh nigam who are both at the vidhi center for legal policy to join us in this discussion So the rift between big tech and free media has often been seen as killing print journalism. Vidhi earlier this year released a report on the future of news on of which Anirudh was an author which looks at a number of these structural issues. So let's start by discussing what they think is the future of print journalism. I think our report specifically focuses on on this dynamic which is when a, a traditional physical industry gets uh, sort of replaced by its virtual counterpart or starts losing out to its virtual counterpart and what transformations happen in that space and print media is a very interesting space there because it would be someone who's a very likely victim of the internet because i mean they their job is to transmit information on paper and the internet can do that much faster to a lot more people so when you start looking at where print media is right now there are a few things to understand and that is that we can't really say if print is beyond a point of no return today but we can say that there will be a point of no return for print at some point of time um, even Uh, owners of major newspapers so for example i think it's the new york times owner who said that one day there will be a final print edition of the new york times uh, and i think that is where most of the world sees print media heading i think there is some bit of disagreement over how strictly that applies to the indian context right now but i think if you look at it over a 5 to 10 year span it seems fairly clear that people are gravitating more and more towards digital forms of accessing news and accessing content that people who are producing news and content are finding it easier to do on digital mediums finding it cheaper to do via digital mediums and print news which has a number of legacy and overhead costs is one not able to adapt very well to the digital environment not able to transfer its own business very well to the space but second is not able to negotiate a good position for itself amongst the multiple other people who occupy this space so let's so unpack print, that a little bit anirudh so that yeah. uh, because if i come to think of it what are these threats 
what are these threats that uh, that are affecting print journalism today and what you right said and rightly so is that obviously it's cheaper to produce news on a digital medium uh, and people are, are are consuming news on a digital medium more readily but it's not as if the the local newspaper is being replaced by a digital version of the local newspaper that would have been understandable in some sense but it's that the local newspaper is being replaced by large uh, often social media companies which is giving you news from everywhere so it's almost as if the the nature of demand is is changing as a result of that of the internet zai would you might have any thoughts on that yeah i do think that uh, this is true and that content creators uh, have now moved um, to a different kind of platform so if you think about it a newspaper also was a platform but um, as we know a lot of the early research on digital platforms has shown that the money uh, that flows to content creators um, when they use digital platforms it reduces the big digital platforms like facebook and google so i do think the same thing is happening to news as well and it's no wonder that people um, are being laid off and there aren't that many jobs in media anymore so anirudh where do you see this point of no return coming and what do you think is going to push news off the ledge a print news off the ledge right i think we should be a little careful perhaps when talking in the indian context because there is a very strong narrative in india that says that indian newspapers are actually and this goes back to what you were saying that the uh, physical newspaper hasn't uh, entirely vanished from from existence and and there are places where the physical newspaper continues being a source of news so for example in india the news industry the newspaper industry is still seeing some levels of growth which is a very meager 3.5% levels of overall growth uh, which is primarily being led in hindi and vernacular newspapers but there is still some sense of growth so the point of no return uh, actually would come at a point of time when the advertisement that keeps newspapers running and and this goes back to the business models of newspapers and why that seems to be struggling so much online and why these large social media platforms seem to have such a big role to play is that news news isn't really as cheap to produce so a newspaper today costs something like 15 to 20 rupees to make and it sells for around rupees 1 to 4 and and that shortfall is bridged entirely by advertisers and at the point of time that people are accessing news through digital mediums uh, that's a much more attractive place as an advertiser to put my money in so if you look at growth projections for example people project that digital advertising is going to grow by 25 to 30% in the next few years and print advertising is supposed to grow by 2 to 5% in the next um, 4 to 5 years so at the point of time where demand tips over to the digital space in a way where advertisers stop looking at print newspapers as um, an attractive place to put their money in that's when i think that inflection point or that tipping point will come much nearer to us so i think a lot lies in demand and a lot lies in when users decide to give up the physical newspaper for its digital equivalent 
No, so that's a set of great points, actually. As in one, of course, about India, the fact that newspapers are still registering some degree of growth, particularly in the vernacular press, uh, might have something to do with the slightly lower levels of internet penetration in India than in certain developed countries. May also have a lot to do with the fact that the digital advertising market in India is also, again, not as lucrative uh, as as it perhaps can be. So it seems that uh, the point of no return is just a bit further away but not that it's not there. But the second question about advertising uh, that you raised is a very interesting one because it really gets us to this issue of business models that newspapers use. So I was just listening to an interview that uh, Jonah Peretti, the CEO of BuzzFeed, was speaking with uh, Ben Thompson. And as our listeners know, BuzzFeed has has just acquired HuffPost. And so that was an interesting acquisition. And, and, and I found something that... Uh, Peretti said very, very interesting. And uh, he said that there, he thinks that there is possibly a business model where uh, investigative journalists, the ones who do really serious journalism that takes a lot of time and money, uh, these folks can be paid for not through a traditional method of them working in a small newspaper, which again has legacy and overhead costs, but as individual journalists. And the amount of money that he thinks is needed to pay for this can be made either by some corporates doing some CSR, including social media companies, or it could be paid for by, you know, a public spirited, not-for-profit, independent media foundation. Uh, Zai, since you're an economist, I thought I could put this to you. What do you think is the viability of such alternate business models, particularly for doing serious journalism, which we associate with print? Um. I think that if, uh, as as uh, economists say, or are notorious for saying that if it had to happen, it would have happened. And I think that if the CSR by itself was a viable possibility, it would have happened. But I, I think there's also value in not um, leaving all of journalism to large social media companies to fund by themselves and their own volition. So. There's a very uncomfortable choice that you give to them on what to fund. So um, my uh, controversial perhaps proposal is something that builds off uh, something that Autonomy Institute in the UK proposed, which is a sort of media fund that is public, uh, that is funded by taxes on these platforms. Um, and that has very strict rules on impartiality. So you don't give the government much of a choice on whom to fund. But uh, since, for instance, uh, a lot of print newspapers, uh, their major source of revenue is government ads, right? And uh, maybe Anirudh can correct me if I'm wrong here. But uh, we also know that they are able to control these newspapers in some way by uh, giving or not giving them government advertisements. So if instead we were to have an impartial media fund that is also a public fund and do public interest journalism with it, with stricter and more transparent rules, I think that would be a better option than either voluntary funding or the current, you know, the status quo. Yeah, it sounds very interesting in theory, but uh, it, when, when, I, when I heard you, it seemed like what you were proposing is something like the BBC on the internet. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry. something like the BBC, yes, which is what the Autonomy Institute also said. 
but something uh, that fosters a lot more competition than the BBC model does as well. But so, let's get into that a little bit. As in, how are these? Uh, how is this fund going to be allocated? Who's doing this allocation? Because I obviously, like anybody else, as a lawyer, I worry about the fact that when it is the government that is going to be the custodian of this, and as you said, it's going to come through public money and taxes. Uh, so I'm assuming that the government will be the custodian of this. Then uh, perhaps the the remedy might be worse than the disease in some sense. No, absolutely. I think it's very, very valid to worry about it. I just think that it's not the case that currently there is no control through uh, government funds, and also that uh, control by social media companies is something that worries me personally a lot. So I'm saying that there is a possibility that we come up with a good enough structure for the spending of public funds. That does not, of course, preclude the spending of private funds to do journalism. There will always be enough and more of that. So um, I think there is a possibility that we make the spending of public funds fairer in journalism. No, absolutely. As in, I think we are in a situation where we are talking about uh, as in various devils that we are trying to ensure don't come to reality. So Anirudh, do you have any thoughts about this idea of the public fund? Because there is... Uh, always a question mark about uh, state involvement and it's not that the state in India hasn't been involved as your report also notes. That's right. I mean, uh, in India, there is a very complicated relationship between the state and the press and I think that's true globally as well because ultimately a very big part of the job of the press is checking the state and if you make it too reliant on the state for funds, that is a problem. Despite that, state support for free and public spirited and high quality journalism is something that countries across the world seem to be embracing and there are different ways in which they are designing this to not lead to the same kinds of influences and there are good ideas out there so the university of chicago proposed something like a voucher system uh, where people could be given media vouchers and they then donate to a media house of their liking uh, and those vouchers are funded by the state. But in India, for example, what Zai mentioned is something that you already have in place, which is you have the Directorate of Audiovisual Publicity, which is a department under the Ministry of Information and Broadcasting that channels government advertisements to these newspapers. And they, they deal with substantial amounts of money. Uh, lots of scholars say that this money is the lifeline for many newspapers. And we do seem to have some sort of a problem with how effective transparency within the DAVP is and uh, how equitably those funds get channeled. So I think they, I think when Zai talks about state funding, I think we are looking at some uh, models of state funding that already exist that need to be designed better. And, and we're looking at some of that already happening in India. And I think that was one of the key findings in our report as well, which is that if you really want to clean this up, I think the DAVP as a government institution is one of the first places to start looking at uh, to clean up state support for media. Yeah, so one of the key lessons that actually I'm taking away from this is the fact that newspapers seem particularly vulnerable to digital media because a lot of their business model is contingent on advertising, whether it is government or in any other form. And digital advertising is superior for a number of reasons, target, micro-targeting, uh, tracking, analytics, and so on, than, than regular print advertising. 
but uh, but taking it one step back zai uh, does this mean that the traditional subscriber led model of journalism is almost close to dead if not dead already uh, the reason i ask this is because of course there are some models of subscriber led journalism that exists and very prominent ones like the financial times or the times in the uk the new york times this is not to say that they don't have uh, advertising at all uh, but they seem to have taken a very conscious direction of trying to do things the old way that is to sell a product and make money of the product so what is your sense about the future of the subscriber led model i yeah i'm not a fan of it because i think it redefines what journalism really is like you said it turns it into a kind of product that is only available to those able and willing to pay for it so uh, is that really the role of journalism is it do i read the news to you know to be better informed uh, there are yes but there are obviously externalities positive and negative ones to me reading the news right society benefits when i read the news so but someone's got to pay for it someone's got to pay for it for sure and I, i do think like there's no amazingly perfect model but i think like today what is happening with subscriber led models is that you are building your own niche so if you have a small digital publication that is reaching a certain kind of audience you keep doing stories that that kind of audience likes to read and i mean i, I don't suppose there's anything wrong with building a product like that i just wouldn't want all of journalism to look like that because yeah i just i just think there's also an underlying issue there which is that i mean someone has to pay for news but if it's the reader who's paying for news and not everyone can afford it then there's a serious impact on access that this business model seems to ignore so it's a business model that might work for the newspapers in question and it might build the kind of products that sell but there is this la- this denial of access that happens to a large number of potential readers has serious implications because and i want to take this like one step uh, into like modern context which is if you look at the posts that perform the best on facebook on any given day uh, out of the top 10 posts around 6 to 7 are from ben shapiro's newspaper or from ben shapiro's media outlet which is the daily wire which is sort of a more fringe um, far right media outlet in the united states and that's because uh, there's no point sharing new york times links on facebook because most people won't have the account to go read the article so the articles that perform the best perhaps in part due to their being free and accessible is also journalism that you might tend to think of as perhaps lower quality journalism or journalism that you might tend to think of as not as professional journalism so i think both of those are serious implications that arise from uh, established newspapers choosing to do subscriber based models today when not everyone can really afford them so this is a really interesting argument because it's not as if the established newspapers are choosing a subscriber based model today as in they have always been subscriber based even in their physical forms right as in it's only a very brief period in the middle when the internet came about when everybody was thinking about how best to understand this animal that a lot of things were available for free 
but it seems as if we are returning to that equilibrium where if you want a newspaper you pay for a newspaper and you and you and you get it it's exactly the same thing online so given that this is in some sense the newspaper industry uh, has always been subscriber led in a sense uh, the question that strikes me is that uh, what role does it have to play in creating this distinction between elites and non elites that we see uh, as synonymous with social media today right when we see social media we see that there are these echo chambers and it almost seems as if these echo chambers have been created by social media because it gives you what you want to see but what i hear from the two of you so far is the fact particularly on the subscriber led model point is that the subscriber led model actually created its own version of the elites that is people who could afford to pay for the news now do you think that this elite non elite or this echo chamber has is a creation of old legacy newspapers or is it a creation of social media or perhaps a bit of both um i have two points one is that i i don't know if it was entirely subscriber led in that of course you paid for a print newspaper but i think a large part of it was cross subsidized by advertisements but also secondly yeah you're absolutely right that there was this elite bias and there continues to be in newspapers um you remember when rahul gandhi said you know give me a free press and this government will fall i mean fair enough but you know i i suppose the press is not free but i'm wondering when it ever was in terms of you know covering what actually needs to be covered um p sainath um, the journalist he did uh, this research where he found out that in a normal randomly chosen year uh, the all the top dailies of india they gave uh, about 0.18 to 0.24% of their front page the um news to rural issues which is which is shocking and which it's really deplorable in an election year it was slightly better which is 0.67% still which you would think that uh, in areas where most of india's population lives you would dedicate at least half of the news to to those issues right but you didn't because uh, like you said it was just catered to a certain kind of crowd and even if it wasn't like i'm sure most people in rural areas obviously like read newspapers even today it it's still news that is not catered to them so perhaps this has something to do with the composition of newsrooms themselves or or it's just that um this is what makes the model work the this is what makes advertising also work yeah because actually this is quite interesting yeah. that you say that about the composition of newsrooms because uh, the there was an oxfam news laundry report which shows that the so scheduled castes scheduled tribes and obcs the majority of india's population are almost non existent in leading positions in indian media and this includes as a new age publications the new age digital publications as well so i think there is a point there anirudh you were saying something yeah no i was just saying that i think zai's first point was very spot on which is that uh, uh, print newspapers have always been subscriber led but advertising worked better in the physical world advertising doesn't seem to 
work as well for newspapers online and and that's down to an uh, that's down to many reasons including social media platforms and the control they play over advertising it's down to uh, also how well newspapers are able to adapt to the digital space but i think that point really illustrates why things have gotten much worse when things have moved digitally because people have paid for newspapers forever but paywalls are a little more expensive than buying a 2 rupee copy from a newsstand and and that comes down to the fact that advertising does not seem to work as well online so i just wanted to uh, sort of highlight that distinction uh, in terms of uh, the physical world and the digital world as being relevant to looking at how this market's shaping sure. so oh. we 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 placed a lot of focus on the newspaper and the future of the newspaper itself let's look at the other side of the coin and that's big social media companies like facebook as well as search engines like google uh there's been a lot of international backlash against facebook and google and their effect on traditional print media uh and a lot of countries have proposed reform measures recently australia brought forth legislation or proposed legislation to ensure that the two entities shared their revenue with their journalists but facebook suggested immediately that it would rather block australian content and google said the thing that it often says which is that it would lead to dramatically worse google searches uh how do you see this battle playing out i think these are credible threats i think these are serious credible threats because of the fact that google has done this in the past which is in 2014 spain introduced reform that was similar to the australian reform which was modeled of the european union's idea of giving a neighboring tax which is that if i use hyperlinks in a certain manner i have to negotiate a license and i have to negotiate a fee i have to pay to the person who originally produced that content and google news left spain for a few months and and people who did studies found that news consumption in spain decreased on a general level the traffic to smaller and local news websites in spain decreased that the only news websites that were able to retain an audience were large established media houses and and the news ecosystem seemed to suffer and that's a serious threat because of just i mean the kind of power that they seem to have so how it plays out in australia i think it's going to be interesting because i think as more and more countries start moving towards these reforms google's ability to uh, issue these threats would also perhaps reduce so i think that's where that dynamic might uh, end up resolving itself yeah but yeah i i think yeah i think that's absolutely right in that how you avoid a race to the bottom is with a global agreement so if you want to control a multinational company you need all of the nations to come together and agree to some basic minimums right unfortunately what is happening in terms of global agreements right now is that there are, there's a push for agreements that relinquish control over these companies so either through the wto or through rcep or other such treaties there's a push especially from the united states uh, and other countries allied with it to to say uh, well countries or governments cannot do xyz to these large social media platforms or other e-commerce platforms so uh, i think what is needed is something like uh, not just a tax uh, treaty like a global tax agreement which is in the works at least in oecd they're come, trying to come up with something 
but also other other rules on um, on taxing, not just taxing, on regulating social media platforms that are international. That's right, because of course, with the with the digital tax treaty, as in amongst the OECD countries, the US has been a constant blocker. And yeah. uh, it's not it's not clear as to how the Biden administration uh, will deal with it. But given the fact that the U.S. gets the lion's share of the bounty of taxes of digital companies, it's going to take uh, a lot of persuasion uh, to get the U.S. on board on a tax treaty or or other rules for social media platforms. In India, of course, as in we haven't had reforms of this nature that's been proposed, but the two kinds of reforms that are that are being spoken about are are one. Uh, in relation to the status of the social media platforms as intermediaries, and there's been a there's been a demand to make them publishers and be liable as publishers for their content, or at least whittle down intermediary liability, the immunity from intermediary liability to some extent. That's number one. And number two, which has happened, is the central government's directive to cap foreign direct investment at 26% for digital news media. Uh, it's not clear as to who it's whether it's directed right i mean directly at facebook and google uh, but it certainly will uh, have some domino effect going forward so anirudh how do you see these reform measures playing out in india i think the indian measures are sort of tricky to pass through because i think the objectives there seem sort of blurred at some levels i think specifically in the fdi issue uh, i think in terms of intermediary liability which is the first issue that you mentioned i think there is a general demand around the world uh, that that's recognizing i think in the usa there, these recent debates about section 230 uh, i think the debates been going on in india for a few years as well i think there is a recognition that the the kind of legal framework that was set up 20 years ago, 25 years ago to promote the growth of the internet needs to be relooked at when you look at what the internet has grown into. And, and that might require this exemption from liability to be something that a company needs to qualify itself for. And that may be through taking on some more responsibility in relation to uh, some of their operations or activities. So I think that's a larger global discussion that India is a small part of. And and that I think is something that is just waking up to how the internet actually ended up evolving. The other you know, kind of reforms that you're talking about, uh, which are these investment related reforms, it's, it's really unclear whether Facebook and Google are the target of these reforms. The second set of reforms, which is these investment reforms are even more difficult to pass through because it's not very clear if they are intended to or they will apply to a Facebook or a Google because they are investment restrictions on Indian companies who perform certain functions. And Facebook and Google India have always maintained that they uh, aren't performing these functions, that they're just services companies for their US affiliates who are the actual company that's performing these functions. So the investment measures, it seems, might actually end up affecting players like your InShorts and your Daily Hunt a lot more than they might affect a Facebook or a Google. And that's tricky because uh, it's because the only people who will sort of immediately benefit from restrictions on foreign investments in digital media generally are 
are media houses that are competing with digital media houses who have access to foreign funding those are the only immediate beneficiaries of this move and therefore the only way to sort of understand the objective of this move because otherwise it's very difficult to understand why those investment restrictions um are being put in place directly i think those measures are slightly tricky to pass through i think the intermediary liability ones are perhaps a little more straightforward in terms of allocating responsibility to powerful players on the internet for their functions and activities so my last word to you uh, given the fact that at the end of the day what we want is citizens to have access to high quality fair and objective news from a variety of sources and we have a variety of sources ranging from legacy newspapers to new age social media platforms and everything in between what are the kinds of two or three key reforms that you think india needs keeping the citizen at the center okay uh, so one more transparent and fairer public funding not necessarily increased public funding but uh, transparency in the funding that exists then if we are to tolerate large social media companies determining you know uh, what stays up and what does not i, I think uh, in that sense increased intermediary liability as a sort of temporary bandaid measure uh, so that you can you are able to just you know ask them to take down egregious hate speech for instance um that's one but i think that there is no escape from coming up with a way to make these platforms more neutral or to have smaller platforms and not one large dominant platform so in that sense just breaking up social media platforms um changing the way that advertising digital advertising works perhaps removing uh, the need for so many trackers removing the need for you know absolutely personalized individual targeting in advertisements um because now there's increasing evidence that it may not work as well as we thought anyway and there are technical ways to remove that that much targeting i think would help a lot more independent platforms come up uh outside of the control of the big social media platform so in short i think look at both regulation um in terms of liability uh in terms of competition and also look at technical measures that can prevent the concentration in the first place that's right and i think that's a lot of measures for us to think through and it's a lot of food for thought uh thanks very much zai and anirudh for joining us today i think the future of news in india is is certainly up in the balance currently and we'll have to see which way the cookie crumbles thanks very much for your inputs and thanks anirudh uh, particularly for uh, the report that you and your colleagues have written uh, it makes for very interesting reading and i urge everyone who's listening to this podcast uh, to check out that report on vidhi's website thanks once again Time for Clatter, our legal quiz that's a bit tougher than Clack. First up, our answer from last week. You'll remember that the question was in relation to a high-profile criminal case that was one of the first ones that was tweeted from the courtroom, resulting in some reforms on how court proceedings were reported. The trial, which is what we wanted the answer for, was the Stephen Lawrence murder trial. 
and the writer and former practicing lawyer who was famous for live tweeting it was Carl Gardner. That was a real toughie, but clearly not tough enough for Apurva Mandara. Congratulations, Apurva. An Amazon gift voucher is coming your way. Time for this week's question. And given this was on the future of news and social media, we thought of a question that might be quite apt. In 2018, a case was filed against Facebook in the California Federal Court, which is settled through a whopping payment of $40 million. What actions of Facebook led to this lawsuit? And a hint for everyone who's listening, this is something that we've seen quite significantly during all those webinars that happen on Facebook Live. Uh, and this is something that we have encountered quite a bit of, even as ordinary users of Facebook on the internet. Do send in your answers to justify at vidhilegalpolicy.in. All right answers stand a chance of getting an exciting gift voucher from Amazon. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. It, it paints quite a bleak picture for the future of print newspapers unless they can get their act together. So to the owners, the editors, and everyone else who works in print journalism, here's one of my favorite songs from Muhammad Rafi saying, don't worry, things will get better. Thank you. Adjourn. तेरा चकराए क्या दिल डूबा जाए आजा प्यारे पास हमारे काहे घबराए काहे घबराए मालिश तेल मालिश सर जो तेरा चकराए या दिल डूबा जाए आजा प्यारे पास हमारे काहे घबराए काहे घबराए if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, follow us on Twitter at Vidhi underscore India for regular updates. We are on SoundCloud and Spotify as Vidhi Center for Legal Policies podcast. You can also listen to us on Google Podcasts or iTunes. Email us at justify at vidhilegalpolicy.in to share your comments and feedback on this episode.